is God is here tonight and he he's making himself known among us and he wants to speak. I know that he has been speaking already, but he has more for us. So, Lord, let's pray right now that you would give us a humble mind, Lord, to, to receive your word, Lord, and a soft heart, Lord, that can be transformed right now, Lord. And I pray that time in your presence now and time under your word would mark us and change us forever, that we would be transformed more into the likeness of your son as the potter molds us now. So I pray, Lord, you just continue to have your way among us in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good, yeah? And he is worthy of our love. Isn't he? He is so worthy of our love. And something that we can sometimes struggle with is how to love on God. How to love him and make him uh, feel special, as it were. God doesn't need anything from us, but he created us for his pleasure. And he likes nothing more than when his children, his people, love on him. And um, this book, The Five Love Languages, uh, hasn't really helped me much with my relationship with God. But it helped me with my relationship with my wife. Uh, and since it was uh, published in 1992, millions and millions and millions of copies of this book have been sold, uh, helping people understand how to love each other. And the premise of the book is that that we are each uniquely wired to communicate in, to perceive, and to receive love in five different expressions. Uh, quality time... Uh, acts of service, physical touch, uh, the receiving of gifts, these, these kind of things. When, when these are, are done to us, we experience love in, in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. And we experience love most when someone demonstrates their love for us in the languages that we are wired to receive it. And coming to understand this was revolutionary for my relationship with my wife. It really was. So I thought, you know, I was loving her and doing all these things for her, but that wasn't what she really needed. It turned out all Leslie needed was for her husband to sit down with her and give her some undevoted attention. I didn't have to buy her anything. I didn't have to do anything for her. I just had to be there in that space and that time, just me and her. And when I did that, that was it. It filled her right up and she was in heaven. Sweet, didn't cost me a thing. It was awesome. So of late, I've been exploring uh, the idea that that God has love languages, that God has expressed to us ways that he wants us to love on him. Now, I haven't been exploring that notion in this book, because what does Gary Chapman know? But I have been looking in this one. And it turns out the Bible is full of stuff where God uh, explicitly clears up for us exactly what it means to love him. And uh, I started uh, sharing that a couple of weeks back here at The Rock and discussed my conclusion that the first and primary love language of God, as we find in the Bible, is acts of obedience, God is loved when we obey his commands. 
It's not sexy and romantic, but it's the truth. If you really want to love on God, if you really want him to know how you feel about him, obeying him is the thing that does it most. This teaching is consistent throughout scripture, particularly the Old Old Testament. Time and time again emphasizing this point, to love God is to obey his commands. Obedience is a language that God's people must become fluent in. And like any language, we learn it, we develop it, and we become more fluent in it the more we practice it. To grow in obedience, we must continue to submit areas of our lives that are not under his rule, areas that we have kept back for ourselves. We must practice obedience as a discipline, and identifying the rebellious thoughts and habits in our life and bringing them under his hand. This makes God feel very nice when we do this. The truth is, this truth is the overwhelming testimony of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, but it is consistent through the New Testament as well. But in terms of us loving God, there is another dominant theme that comes through the New Testament writings in particular, and that's what I want to explore with you tonight. And we're going to start uh, this discussion in the same place that we started the last one, and that is in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. So if you could just turn there with me, please, that would be very good. Mark chapter 12, and from verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So the expert of the law of Moses is trying to trap Jesus in his own words and ask him to reduce all of God's law down to just one. What is the most important, Jesus? If nothing else, what must we do? But Jesus doesn't answer with just one law. Jesus cannot reduce what God requires down to just one law. One verse, because the reality is it takes two. The simplest reduction of the requirement of a Christian is this. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. Your neighbor, your workmate, your friend, even your enemy. It has to be both. Somehow this essential element of discipleship has been lost in the faith practice of Western Christianity. Because the value of others, of community, has been sacrificed to this obsession that we have with ourself. 
with what we want, what we want out of life. We will sacrifice anything to see our own goals fulfilled. The culture that we have been raised in elevates the individual at the, the, at the cost of the community. But this is not the body of Christ. The faith paradigm that we have created for ourselves and we have created our own belief system. The one that we have created is vertical. It is just me and God. The two of us. My personal relationship with God. That's what it's all about. Now you could easily be here going, yeah, yeah, it's right. It's about my personal relationship with God. That's what it's all about. Because you've been brainwashed with that concept. That the faith is just about you and God. But that is not how it was in scripture. That was not the experience of those who walked closely with God in scripture. It was never just about you and God. That's part of it. That's a crucial part of it. But it's a part of it. It starts in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. God looked at Adam and said, It is not good that he is alone. How could that be the case? How could that be true? How could God create anything that is not good? He's perfect. He's all-powerful, completely perfect. He would have got it right the first time. How could you look at anything God created and say it is not good? But God himself looks at Adam and he says, it is not good. It is not good that you are alone. Because Adam wasn't finished. Adam wasn't finished and completed until Eve was created. The plan was never for just God and Adam. It was always God and his community. God Adam and Eve together. And when Eve is created, then it is good. Then it is just how God intended. The faith, the community was always that. A much wider relationship than just me and him. But no, what we have created is this different paradigm My faith is a personal thing. It has nothing to do with anyone else. My faith is none of your business. And so we set up our faith in a vacuum, just us, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. Assuming, of course, that we do read the Bible and that we are engaged in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it seems it's just me and him and what I think the Bible says or what I agree with what the Bible says. We practice our faith in a vacuum and wonder why it is so hard. It's hard because exclusively personal is not how our connection to God is supposed to be. God has not just saved you or I. He died for all humankind. He is building a global church that he describes as his bride. He is building what he describes as the body of Christ. And our engagement with God is not personal or just personal at least. It is communal. And our love for God is is not expressed to him just vertically. But our love for him is expressed laterally, around us, out from us. 
to each other, to everyone that we encounter. Our love for God is expressed in our relationships with each other. In fact, in fact, we cannot love God if we do not love each other. I would like you to say this with me. I just want, I want this to come out of your mouth and I'm going to explain it a bit more. I want you to say this. We cannot love God if we do not love each other. Does that sound like quite a full on statement to say? It does sound quite full on, doesn't it? But I wouldn't make that call if it wasn't clearly grounded in scripture. 1 John chapter 4. Write this, write these two verses down because you're going to want to look at them again. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. Turn back a page to 1 John 3 from verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The Apostle John is hammering home this truth. He's hammering this point because it is crucial. It is not just about you and God. If you don't love others, you don't love God. But when you do love others, God receives that love as well. And that is loving on him. Loving others is one of God's biggest love languages. When he sees us sacrificing for each other, 
putting the other first, taking care of each other's needs, comforting each other. That is like a love offering to him. That makes him feel all warm and gooey inside, seeing his people love on each other. And we need to learn to speak this language. We need to learn to speak in it and live in it. But sadly, one place where it can be quite hard to find real love is here in the church. We can be pretty good at talking about God's love. But this can be one of the saddest, loneliest places. Somehow we have taken God's beautiful idea of a community of redeeming, transformational faith and made it all about law, all about rituals, and all about me and what I need from God. Christian faith looks very good on paper, I believe, when you weigh it all up. Eternal life, Jesus, God's spirit in us, a community of love around us, spiritual gifts, angels looking out for us. That sounds awesome. But the reality turns people away in droves. The stark naked truth is that a lot of people do not experience love in the church. Tragically, when a lot of people meet so-called Christians, they in fact meet petty, bitter, self-centered, self-righteous bigots who are apathetic, gossip, who are hypocritical and judgmental of people and exhibit few, if any, of the fruits of God's spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not describing the rock here or any of you. They're probably some of you and probably a little bit of me. I know there is love in here, but at the same time, I know for a fact there are people who come here to the rock and they leave here having experienced no love at all. They leave here just as lonely as they walked in. They leave here feeling like no one cares about them at all and that no one noticed them. Even people who have been here for many years end up becoming very bitter from some of their relationships with people here. And that's because God's people do not let God's spirit transform them into the people he destined us to be and so instead of overwhelming with god's love we're overwhelmed with the flesh and our own issues our own egos our own hurts our own baggage and so we dump that on people rather than blessing them with his love that's a reality that's a real problem it's a problem that's here and it's a problem that we have got to sort out what I believe it starts with is a major but simple paradigm shift. That is the shift from an understanding that the faith is not just about me and God. It is all about God. It is all about him. But it's not just about you. That's the thing we need to, to, to grasp hold of. That we are part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. When the Bible talks about Jesus marrying his bride, you're not the bride. Jesus is not going to marry Simon English. It's just weird. But Simon is a crucial, valuable, loved part 
of what Jesus is going is to unite with one day. Simon is a part of the bride of Christ, part of the church. We are a part of something amazing and huge that God is building. And God has this most amazing relationship and plan for the church that we are a part of. And that is a community of love. It doesn't mean that Simon doesn't have a very special, intimate relationship with God, because he does. And that's going to continue to grow. But Simon also understands that he is part of so much, something so much bigger. And God has a purpose in Simon that he wants to reach out and bless and love on so many others. And you can see it on this guy. There's love on him. And we need to grab more and more of that. The love of God in him and on him. And Simon loves God through all these people around him. It's awesome. Come on, you bro. Pretty much just be more like Simon English. We need to get this understanding of what the faith is about. When we understand and live in the fullness of the great commandment to love God and to love others and build our worldview and build our lifestyle of faith on that, everything will change. That's a, that's a game changer completely. Everything changes when we have that understanding. We will begin to see people the way God sees them. We'll make ourselves available for God to work through and transform their lives as we reach out to them with love and grace. And so tonight I want to implore you to go home and study these things, particularly just the, the book of First John, that whole letter of First John. As the Bible is closing and coming to its final chapters, God just pours out this most beautiful section of love letter explaining what it really is about. Get immersed in that. Ask the Spirit to give you deeper understanding. And then walk in it. Discuss these things with your life group. Meditate on them this week. Let your mind and your soul stew in them. Let his word and his spirit renew your mind. And then, with a new perspective on what it means to love God, we will do things very differently. We'll make more time for people. We will stop and talk to people, ask how they are doing, and really listen when they answer. We will really invest ourselves in our life groups and commit ourselves to other people. We will pray for others as we become aware of their needs. We will be outrageously generous with our time, our money, our skills. We will invite people into our homes to enjoy our love and hospitality. And we will be more gracious when people let us down or cross us. And I could go on and on and on. When you're totally consumed with God's love and live in it, you are a completely different person. And this teaching on what on what love is and how we love God, as it says here, is just consistent throughout the New Testament. Matthew through Peter to, to 1 John, time and time again, reference after reference, bringing us back to this truth that somehow we've missed. Reduce it down to this idea that we can sing a few songs to God and give a tenth of our income. And that's, that's loving God. We can tick that box and move on. I loved God today. This really does change how we relate to everyone. At work, at school, 
in the office, at the post office at 5 p.m., at your mother-in-law's, on the phone to the bank. That's the worst for me. On the phone to the bank. I find it very hard to be gracious. The flesh just rises up in me. Or 8 a.m. when the Mormons knock on your door on Saturday. To the ref on the football field, your children, your parents, your teachers, your boss. This revelation transforms all our relationships. The rock needs to be a place where people find this kind of love. We can't have any more testimonies of people walking out of here on a Sunday lonely, unloved, because no one took an interest, no one cared, no one noticed. Our testimonies need to change. We need to get better work stories. This place needs to be a place where hurting people find comfort, where broken people find restoration. Where sick people find healing, where lonely people find friendship, where marginalized people find community. This needs to be the place. God's house, the body of Christ, his people, his family. And that isn't something that God just does and suddenly we're lovely and wonderful and everyone wants to come here. It doesn't work like that. The church is a partnership that God builds but it is a partnership between God and man. The church is so broken because there's a lot more man in the church than there is God. A whole lot more. And there is too much man in this place as well. And the more of God and the more of his love that there is in us, the more God and love there will be in his church here. So for the rock to become more loving... We need to become more loving. We need to surrender to his love, understand what it means to love on him, let his love flow through us and bless those around us. This needs to be that place, and it will be when we surrender our own agenda to the will of Christ. Can you do that? Do you want to do that? I want to do that. And I know, for me, it's got to start with me. And it's got to start with each of us. So I'd just like to ask you this. If if you could help me, help us, make this place, make the rock a family of love. A family that knows how to love God and how to love people. And that when people talk about the Rock Church, they would say, man, those guys are lovely. It's weird. They are just really lovely. You know, that's the one thing I want more than anything else. There was a time when I would have said, I want people to say, man, the Rock They've got their doctrine sorted. They know the word of God. Man, they teach with authority. Woo! That's what was important to me. But more and more, it's, it's, it's cool, but 
that's not what I want to be known for. I want to be known because I love, because we are loving. And so if people don't always understand what we teach, or if sometimes, you know, we don't get everything right, love covers a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you so much that despite who we are and what we have done and what we do, you love us. Beyond even what we can understand, Lord, you love us. And the fullest, deepest meaning of the word which you've defined, you love us, Lord. And that is a mystery. But tonight, Lord, I want to claim that love. I want to receive it and every bit of it I can take. Lord, I pray for myself and for my friends here tonight that as we receive your love, that that love would transform us and your love would make us loving. I pray, Lord, you'd help us, Lord, to surrender to your love and allow your love, which is a powerful irresistible force to do a mighty work in us. Lord, I pray your love would shine light into the dark places within us. That your love would soften hard, brittle places in us. That your love would add flesh to dry bones. That your love would warm us with within, Lord, and blow away any doubts we have. Your word says, Lord, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, Lord. And tonight we claim that promise together. Lord, I pray that you would just download into our hearts and into our minds now this revelation of what it truly means to love you. And as we receive your love, we would be able to turn that around and love back on you and love on those around us. May we, your people, your church, be known and characterized by this, Lord. We love. Just as Jesus loves us, we love. I pray, Lord, the truth of your word would remain in our hearts and minds now and we would leave here with that. And your spirit would teach us throughout this week. And that you would accomplish this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.